Hi, this is Jeff Coper, and we welcome you to this Disney Insights podcast. While we like going into the weekend with lighter news, this week a couple of key announcements were made, and they are reflective of some tough financial decisions being made, particularly at the Walt Disney World Resort. First and foremost, Disney has announced that the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser will cease operations in a few months. We explore why this is probably coming to an end and most importantly, what lessons can be learned from it. Disney has also announced that it will no longer or is no longer going to relocate staff into a planned campus that was to be located in a Lake Nona setting here in Orlando. And we also look at the tea leaves to see how attendance is doing at Walt Disney World. All of these stories have some souvenirs that pretty much allow you to consider in your own organization, what are the implications? What are the messages? What are the lessons to be learned from these experiences? The conversation is timely as we have worked with organizations big and small to address the kinds of issues that we're going to be talking about today. And so let's take a look. And if you want to make sure you check out DisneyInsights.com because we'll have a complete um, uh, overview and uh, agenda and um, outline of the things that we're going to be addressing during this uh during this podcast. Let's begin if we can. By the way, if you are at Disney Insights, make sure you subscribe so you can receive upcoming podcasts as they come out. Make sure you are also subscribed to your own podcast um, source so that you can uh, be notified of updates as they come along. Now, where were we? Oh, yes. Let's talk about Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser coming to an end. This is the statement that Disney has made in the last uh, 24 hours or so. Quote, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is one of our most creative projects ever and has been praised by our guests and recognized for setting a new bar for innovation and immersive entertainment. This premium experience gave us an opportunity to try new things on a smaller scale of 100 rooms and we will take what we've learned to create future experiences that can reach more of our fit guests and fans. We will be contacting guests uh, booked for voyages departing uh, on or after September 30th to discuss their options and modify their plans. To prioritize these guests, we are pausing new bookings until May 26th continues on to say, quote, we are so proud of all of the cast members and Imagineers who brought Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser to life and look forward to delivering an excellent experience for guests during the remaining voyages over the coming months, end of quote. Now, I have to mention a couple of things that come out of that statement, and that is um, you miss, as they say, a hundred percent of the shots that you never take Wayne Gretzky and you know what I admire Disney when they take risks to check out and try something new and to see if there are opportunities that haven't been explored in the products and services they currently do so I, I think it's terrific and I think much of what was done with the Star Cruiser although I will say at the outset I have not been on it um but that we'll come back to in a minute. Uh, it's, it is probably a very creative project in and of itself. And I have to, I have to give uh, credit uh, for that. I also have to say that it is um, award winning. Last November, it was announced that uh, the TIA's annual uh, TIA Awards was going to present a prestigious award to Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser for an outstanding brand experience. And in some ways, it's really well-deserved. There is a lot that is unique about this experience. And in particular, it really is a pioneer for some, 
some pretty phenomenal cosplay style experiences. Now there are other parks doing a much bigger job of cosplay. I am way behind uh, to doing a review of Evermore Park, which is out in Pleasant Grove, Utah, which is a set of medieval um, um, themes played out in a theme park type setting. There are no rides or attractions per se. There's a little train that goes around, but but really it is kind of the ultimate in cosplay uh, type of activity played out in a park. This, of course, with Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, this took it to a whole new level. Challenge is, it also came out to a whole bigger price than what you're gonna pay when you go to a, uh, a location like Evermore. Now, I also have to mention before we, we get to the why did this happen, I should also mention my uh, disappointment is that cast members who have really gone be above and beyond to make that Star Cruiser voyage work, they are really the ones who have been disadvantaged in all of this. And they're... They put a lot on the line. They put a lot of risk to come join up with this kind of experience. And uh, hopefully Disney will relocate them. And uh, I'm going to talk about some of that as well in a few minutes. But, um, you know, really the one thing that people said consistently in their reviews of the Star Cruiser was how uh, amazing the cast members were in terms of creating this kind of experience. Now, Let's get to the heart of it. Why did it fail? Well, top of the list, way beyond everything else, in my view, is that it was just too expensive. Too expensive for someone like me who can easily spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to go, uh, you know, tr travel globally to see Disney parks, who can spend uh, money to go to D23 conferences and events, who spends it on annual pass, who goes out to restaurants that, that provide premium dining experiences, as we reviewed recently, a couple of those dining experiences, um, particularly at Artist Point with Snow White. And so you have these kinds of, you know, for a Disney guy like me to say, this was too expensive, that's a big flag on the gameplay here. Uh, for a family of four, it was neighboring toward $6,000. And all you were getting was um, was a two-night experience. It was out of range for even a lot of Star Wars fans who probably wanted to really come and see it. And probably it may fill up and it may even be great if they could even... I, I'm surprised they're not extending it more toward the end of the year and maybe booking... Um, giving more people a chance to, you know, I, I certainly, I uh, was one of those individuals who kind of said when I heard the news, should I go see this before it goes away? But again, if I'm looking, if I grab somebody else to go, I'm looking at paying um, 2000 a piece for this kind of experience. And that really is uh, just, it was just, it, that should not have passed the laughing test. The price alone, comparatively, when you look at that price of six grand and compare it to what a family of four can get on the Disney Cruise Line, and by the way, the ship actually goes someplace, that 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 was a miss. And and I, I even when you have a superb product, and no no product is perfect, but even when you have a product that is really good. If you've priced it out of the market, you just, it's just not, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to sustain itself. Of course, added to that, Disney needs to cut costs, a lot of costs. We've talked about Disney um, um, laying off employees. Well, you can't be laying off employees if you're not also looking around saying, okay, what, what products, what services, what things do we do that aren't working? And frankly, right now, it's probably better as a tax write-off than to, than to have it keep opening um, with only um, a small percentage of people actually being in the ship at any time, which is, again, another problem with the whole uh, pricing model 
is to make that successful, you really needed to, um, you needed to have it running at full scale, not at 50% occupancy or something of that nature. I'm going to also be just very honest. This had Bob Chapek's name all over it. And Bob Chapek fell out of favor with the entire company, entire organization. And so in the aftermath with Chapek gone, it's only a reminder of things he did. Now, it's a little unfair in that regard because there were good things that happened during Chapek's time frame. And one of them that I just want to point out to that seems to have been very successful is the New York Hotel at Disneyland Paris, The Art of Marvel, where guests are, where they just took that hotel, and I have stayed at that hotel many times, but they have transformed that hotel to be something that a Marvel fan would absolutely put on their bucket list to do. And so, and, and it's had a great reception. They've been able to raise the price of rooms in those, in that, uh, in terms of filling hotel occupancy. And um, it's been very successful. And that, by the way, happened during JPEG's time too. So um, if I were to add some other things of why I felt it failed, um, it looked like a warehouse um, as you pulled up to it. I mean, you couldn't, it, it, it really was, it had a pathetic um, arrival experience to it. There should have been a ship on top of it, something to give you a sense of this is going to be your shuttle to take you up into space to to join the Halcyon. None of that was there. They didn't even bother to really put up some barrier or some um, some um, green hills and trees and barriers to kind of hide the the motel looking warehouse facility that it really was. Um, I think it also um, even in space, I still want to swim at my hotel. And it lacks some of those resort amenities that people are expecting. I, you could have done something really clever and still included a swimming pool. And yeah, people want that um, as part of staying up, especially in Florida. Uh, you want some kind of, even if it were an indoor pool, those kinds of amenities I felt like were really missing. Um, it requ um, required a structured arrival, departure date, you got to, um, it's, you know, it's only two nights. There's, you know, you got to arrive here, you got to leave here. Um, many, uh, travel planners out there, um, individuals like David, uh, were not given opportunities to see it or sell it. They didn't say, Hey, come over and check this out. They did give a lot of social media people a chance. And there were a few of them, a few, I mean, like maybe three that actually went back and did it again on their own dime. But most of those individuals who went out and did podcasts and so forth, they would never have paid. It would have been, if they had asked every media blogger and podcaster to, to actually pay for their trip, there would have been very few to have ever gone on it in the first place. I think that's a, that's a statement in and of itself. And then I think finally it didn't offer enough value with the good things it had. They talked a lot about the food. They talked a lot about um, characters, but not everybody was wanting um, to invest in Kylo Ren and Ray. They wanted more of the Luke and Leia kind of legacy. And um, the, uh, you had you were spending one full morning. I guess you could have stayed back at the at the Halcyon, but. But really, you're spending one full morning in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which you could have bought a ticket for a whole lot less and been able to do a whole lot of things like a lightsaber experience and saved yourself thousands of dollars. And so I really felt like that was the one full morning is just going over to Disney's Hollywood Studios. Bedrooms were really well themed. There's some cool amenities attached to that. But that they were small cabins. Um, they were not, they were really not, I mean, in only two nights, but you know, there's there was a give and take on that, that maybe that's what it would have looked like in space, but it didn't, it's still not um, comfortable, which is what people expected. Technology, I don't think was quite there on different levels, such as the lightsaber activity they had and so forth. And, you know, if you're not into cosplay, it's really not the thing 
that's going to attract you. So, so issues around those things, it wasn't one thing, although expense was clearly the driver among all drivers, but, uh, but there really were many issues. Now, are there options here? I think so. I think you don't need to just tear the whole thing down. I think there are people who would like to just come and do dinner in the evening. I think there are people who would like a resort stay but don't want to commit at that price level. I think there's ways to provide a flexible itinerary. I think there are ways to do less cosplay. I think you could keep the Star Wars theme but do it in a more flexible style that allows people options and a better price point to come experience Star Wars and the other things as well. So I think that would be, I'd be one of the first to sign up if they if they got those rooms pricing down to a more reasonable level, comparable again to even Disney Cruise Line level. I don't have to have a showdown with Ray and Kylo Ren at the end. I just want to experience a little sense of the setting and the aura and the experience. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit like uh, Space 220. I liked Space 220 in terms of the arrival and the experience of feeling like you're going up space. I feel like it adds to the Epcot experience, but I don't need to have a full-scale prefix meal. Uh, I don't want to pay for all that. And that's why I think myself and others like me who really do enjoy the setting of those things really don't want to have to commit to a large price tag in order to go see Space 220 again. I will also say I think there are other options besides the Star Wars. Could there um, be could there be a Marvel style campus made of this? Uh, could you build it out? Um, assuming that you could have them legally, which I think as long as you're not in a theme park, you could make a Marvel campus and you could be uh, be Avengers campus, but it could add outdoor areas and pool areas and gym areas and, you know, kind of sports play areas, things that, that you know, would try and test you as a, as a superhero, that type of thing. Could you go in that direction? Or simply could it be like Disney's Hotel New York, Art of Marvel? Or in this case, could it be Disney's Hotel uh, Art of Star Wars? Could it, you know, what could you do here? Um, could you add, again, more resort amenities? I'd like to see the pool outside, that type of thing. Could it even be a Toy Story hotel? And I mentioned that because, remember, this, this Star Cruiser was stationed just um, a couple hundred yards away from... Um, Disney's Hollywood Studios, what would it be like if you added a couple more buildings and themed it out to Toy Story and somehow attached it to Toy Story Land? What would that look like? So I think there's there's a, a lot of possibilities for what you could do with the space. All that said and done, it's going away. And the thing that can be gained out of this experience, and this is the thing we help organizations do, is to take away to find the takeaways. And the, and the first, and we call these, if you've been with my Disney at Work podcast in the pack, we call these souvenirs, free souvenirs that you could take away. You can take away some lessons from this, apply it back to your own organization, towards your own experience. The biggest of the ideas that I would say need to be taken away, uh, the biggest, biggest ahas, is first you need to pilot your ideas. Now, Recently, 3028 Podcast did this little podcast. Well, it wasn't so little, but they did a pretty good job. It wasn't, um, it, it, they did a pretty good job of talking about how Disney Cruise Line be, really began with the big red boat and how Disney was able to test out a lot of ideas with that uh, big red boat franchise before they went independent and built their own boat. Building a boat is expensive, building a hotel is expensive. This was the thing I think was missing. They should have piloted this concept. You could have, for instance, taken over the garden wing of the contemporary. You could have had maybe four weekends in a row or four weekends over a year and made them Star Wars weekends and, and had the kinds of food, had the kinds of entertainment, had the kinds of experience you could have taken over um, 
various convention centers. Yeah, you wouldn't have felt like you flew out there, but it still would have been a total cosplay kind of experience you could have created. You could have even dedicated a wing of, you know, the garden wing of the contemporary or something of that nature. Or you could have remodeled an existing property other than the contemporary. But what I think was missing was they didn't really try and test the not only the audience, but the price point for this. And by the way, I think they got too carried away with only one target audience. And I really think that target audience was true, committed Star Wars fans. But the fact of the matter is there are many options for how Star Wars fans can use their time and money. And I think while all of them probably would have liked to have done this, they really were having to make some practical decisions and not really, you know, go with this because it just wasn't, it wasn't a viable choice. Then <clears throat> with that, I would say, what is your crowd? What is their repeat attendance pattern? You could have found that out piloting. Um, one of the problems, and I think this is the ultimate, um, this is the ultimate customer they were seeking out was a high-end customer who price doesn't matter. I'm going to take my kid to have a total Star Wars experience. Bob Chapek continued for years to chase after that very top tier of spenders. And they have done everything from special premium parking spaces to VIP tours are accelerating the use of that. Remember, they have these tents in Tomorrowland where you could have your own cabana, um, in Tomorrowland, they have tried a whole bunch of things, most of them unsuccessful, some some better than others. Um, this was the ultimate focus. Uh, this is the ultimate product or service to the high-end customer. People who didn't care what the price was, they were going to come and bring their kid to have a Star Wars weekend. The problem with that model is that people who can pay anything can then go and pay for anything else. And so you're, you really have to have a committed Disney high-end customer for them to keep coming back to you. And the people Chapek was chasing after were not necessarily high-end Disney um, customers or guests or fans. Rather, they were just high-end spenders who were willing to go do something different. And so they would pay the higher amount to go to a Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser experience and pay whatever amount. But they're not very good repeat customers. In the end, the loss of this facility, having put the money invested and the time, well, let me just say, all of the charges uh, combined will not make up uh, all of the, uh, the, all of the, all the upcharges, I should say, all the upcharges that they have done over the last five, seven years, from cabanas to to premium parking, all of the profit they have made over those upcharges has will not make up for the loss of of the infrastructure that they that they lost. The cost of building this and then to not have it succeed that is a very expensive loss. So. The souvenir is pilot your ideas, make sure you have the right audience, make sure you have a repeat audience and that you got the price point right. Star Wars Intergalactic Star Cruiser was not the only big piece of news. There were other things that were happening this year or this week, I should say. And that included the Lake Nona Imagineering campus being canceled. In a letter, Jeff Valley. Uh, who heads up Walt Disney World said, quote, Dear community leaders, today you may have heard the news that Disney is no longer moving forward on the construction of a new campus in the thriving and growing community of Lake Nona in Orlando. Now, let me just stop on that sentence and say, when you say in the thriving and growing community, we're not going to go any for further forward, you've basically done a statement to say, we are not thriving and growing. And I don't know if that's exactly the message Disney wanted to state in its opening sentence. It goes on to say, quote, since we first announced this project, several dynamics have changed, including a change in company leadership, i.e. JPEG, and quote, 
and, and continuing, quote, and evolving economic and business conditions. Uh, that is to say, DeSantis. Quote, regarding our world-class destination, our desire is to continue investing in our core business in an effort to attract and welcome millions of visitors to Walt Disney World and Central Florida each year so they can enjoy the kind of hospitality our region is known for around the world. Our plans currently call for us to invest $17 billion in Walt Disney World over the next 10 years and create 13,000 new jobs to continue doing our part as a leading employer in the hospitality and themed entertainment industry. We hope these plans will become a future reality. So let me just stop there and say this is very similar to what Bob uh, Iger had said um, just, uh, what was it, just less than two weeks ago. He's saying, look, we are willing to spend $17 billion over the next 10 years, but are you wanting us to do business with us? Are you wanting us to do business with you, DeSantis? Are you wanting the taxes we will pay and the new jobs we'll create and all that's involved? He goes on to say, quote, for decades we have operated our business responsibly and being the region's largest taxpayer, we paid and collected over $1.1 billion in state and local taxes during the last year alone. As the single largest single site employer in Central Florida, by the way, um, let me just stop there. That's actually, Disney's about the largest single site employer in any location in the United States. In other words, Walmart's got more employees, but they're spread apart in shops and stores across across the globe. And here we are, Walt Disney World. We have about uh, 70, 75,000, well, as he says, 75,000 cast members in his letter a little, little later on. And that makes... They're all they're all right here in Central Florida, so that's what makes them the largest single site employer, um, not just in Central Florida, but really probably in the country. Anyway, we are deeply rooted in this community, and we continue to make investments for the betterment of our region, such as our contribution of eighty acres of land to create affordable and attainable housing for our community, which we announced last year. Groundbreaking on this development is targeted for next year with the first of 1,400 units anticipated to be completed in 2026. We also continue to invest in our community through our broad array of philanthropic and citizenship efforts. I'm sorry, philanthropic. I'm where, where am I? In our broad array of philanthropic and citizenship efforts. Over the last 12, 20 months, we've provided $6.5 million in grants to locally based nonprofit organizations such as Give Kids the World, Boys and Girls Clubs of Central Florida, Second Harvest Food Bank of Central Florida, Conservation Florida, Heart of Florida, United Way, Hope Partnership, The Nature Conservancy, and more. This is on top of the donation of millions of hours of time that our cast members have contributed contributed to deserving organizations over the decades. Let me just stop before I continue. Can you see that he's not writing to the people of Lake Nona? He is writing a letter to the governor and to, and to the government of Florida. Quote, of course, none of this would be possible without the amazing dedication of the 75,000 cast members who call Central Florida their home. To them, we offer the best overall benefits package in the Central Florida hospitality industry, including an $18, minimum, $18 minimum wage at, by the end of the year, which is well above the state's minimum wage, affordable medical coverage, subsidized child care, access to free access to free higher education through Disney Aspire, our 100% paid tuition programs, and pathways to help cast at every step of their career. While today's decision was not easy, we remain committed to our cast members as well as you and our wonderful community. Sincerely, Jeff Valley, President, Walt Disney World Resort. All right, so lots loaded in there. They're making a statement that basically... When you translate it, it means we're not going with Lake Nona. We've done all these things for you. We continue to do it. We should be treated better. And until we're treated better, we're going to take away things like adding this campus. That's essential. By the way, the governor's office said, 
Quote, Disney announced the possibility of a Lake Nona campus nearly two years ago. Nothing ever came of the project, and the state was unsure whether it would come to fruition. End of quote. In truth, there's a little there's a little bit of truth in that. That was announced over two years ago while we were still very much involved in the pandemic. And there was a lot of averse uh, response within the organization, particularly towards Shapik. Um, and um, however, on the other hand, we did see um, renderings. We'll show them on the uh, DisneyInsights.com of what the campus was going to look like and so forth. Here are the problems with Lake Nona. First of all, this was a Bob Chapek idea. Therefore, it is a poster child for its own, own failure, not a success plan for moving forward. And so... Um, I wasn't surprised when Bob Iger first said, we're going to continue with it. But now, given layoffs, this is a place to cut. And $1 billion is a good place to cut. There are things Iger needs to spend money on. Uh, we're talking about you, Hulu. And, and uh, that means tailoring back on not only um, employees, but tailoring back on projects and, um, and like this. Secondly, the governor could care less about whether Disney does this campus or not. In fact, they probably see it as a win. After all, in their mind, who wants a bunch of woke Californians to come over to Florida? Probably not people who are going to vote for DeSantis in future elections. So why, why pave the way for them to come? That's really honestly what that office probably feels. On the other hand, the developers in Lake Nona, and the people who would have benefited from the construction and from the economic benefits of this, they are clearly ticked. This is a missed opportunity for Lake Nona, which is rapidly growing. It's a lovely area. Now, at the same time, moving corporate from Los Angeles, well, that's been going on for some time. If you're not aware, out of all the Hollywood studios, you know, talk about Sony and Universal and Paramount, Warner Brothers. There's only one of them that actually is headquartered in the Hollywood Los Angeles area, and that's Disney, headquartered in Burbank. All the others, they're actually headquartered in New York or elsewhere around the world. And so um, over the last couple of years, Disney has been looking at, okay, it's really costing us a lot of money to do our business or to have our people in Los Angeles and Hollywood, what can we do? And so different departments, accounting, tax departments, other kinds of departments that were non-creative have been moving um, for some time, even before this announcement was made. Um, should Disney Imagineering been moved? Well, one could have made the case for parks and two water parks and all that we have here. Yeah, you got a lot more going on than you do over at the Disneyland Resort. And and we're as internationally connected to the rest of the world as is California. So there is that aspect of it. On the other hand, a lot of people who are really good at creativity and innovation, they like being in the heart of Southern California, Los Angeles, Hollywood, that whole vibrant feel of what should be creativity. Um, and that said, the Disney Imagineers were never set up well for this move. The move seemed to be announced suddenly to them. Um, in my view, uh, timing and flexibility was just missed totally on this. Um, yes, all of this back and forth with like Nona. Well, let me let me just say this about Imagineering. In my view, if I were an Imagineer in Glendale and I had no family connections in California, Moving to Florida would have been a great idea because I could have found better housing, better lifestyle, better experience in Florida than I would in Glendale, Burbank, California. Nothing personal. I love those areas, but really, this is a better lifestyle when all things are considered. Certainly a more affordable lifestyle and you could have gotten better quality of life in my view. That said and done, if you got family in California, it's really hard to say goodbye and say, well, yeah, we're moving to the other side of the country. Even though you are so committed to Disney, you are asking people to make a very hard decision. And that aspect of it, especially during the Chapek years, that was not good.
And all of this back and forth will look like Nona has not only cost the company money, but frankly, in the wake of it, lost, it's cost them some good talent within the organization. One wonders how Disney measures the advantages and disadvantages. Are we just simply, I, I know presentations we're doing were done at some point in Burbank to say, you know, if we move all these offices and all these people out to Florida, we could save this much money per year and that so forth over this span of time. We just would be crazy not to do it. But, but you know what? You can use data to kind of support any outcome, it seems. And, and one of the great examples, I was reviewing Michael Eisner's comments about Disney's America. And the, there's a lot of pushback about them coming to the Virginia area. And then Frank Wells passed away. And then Michael had his heart attack. And afterwards, somebody came up to Michael and said, you know, really, our estimates of how much good, how many good days of weather we're going to have it's not really right. We're going to lose a couple more months of really good weather. Well, I'm sorry, but where was that good weather estimate or bad weather estimate, whatever you want to call it? Where was that beforehand? Why didn't they get the right data to begin with to make the right decision rather than the decision that they thought people wanted, i.e. Eisner in that case? I wondered if the decision originally around Lake Nona was made around data that would please what Chapek wanted to do, not what was really, really right for the um, Walt Disney Company. Now, again, some souvenirs to take away from this whole Lake Nona thing. First off, you got away the human costs of change, not just the bottom line financials. You only look at the bottom line. You really don't take the time to see its impact on, on your employees. You are missing and it's going to cost you at the end. If it's the right thing to move the business, then move it. It shouldn't matter that Chapik or Iger is in charge. If it was the right decision, it should have been done in the right place. If a bad decision should have been done, it's not about who's in charge. And I get tired of projects to stop and start because of who happens to be in charge at the time. Which goes into the third point, which is don't play games. Don't play games with your employees. Don't play games with the people who are you're struggling with, i.e., honestly, I think this is a little bit of a game with the state of Florida. And mind you, Florida, you know, DeSantis is playing the biggest game of all, a game of politics. This is a response to that. But it, honestly, yeah, you could have made the case one way or the other. And this really doesn't have to do with, I mean, although I will say, that a lot of people out in California don't want to move to Florida because of the politics. I get that. But again, you, you just stop playing games. Anticipate compliance rather than wait to be made compliant. What do I mean by that? In truth, Disney talked about these apartments being built uh, a couple of years ago. And now they're saying it's going to be 26 before they're built. And by the way, if they talked about it two years ago, that means they were thinking about it at least three years ago. And that's two more years, which 20, to me, um, now the reason why they're bringing up this whole thing with housing is because one of the things that the new, um, the new um, district is wanting Disney to do is to make affordable housing as part of their um, uh, efforts moving forward. But in truth, Disney had already been moving on that, but Disney had been moving slow and it continues to move slow. They should have just been out there. They the, Those things should have been vertical by now. Maybe not moved into, but they should have been vertical by now and there wouldn't have been any comment from that group. And then the final thing I'll say is show greater flexibility with your employees. Don't draw lines in the sand. Work with them. Help them. There could have been a transition over 10 years to move Imagineering over. It didn't need to happen you know, a week from Tuesday. So those are some of the takeaways. When you, you need to show greater flexibility with your employees. Now, I'm going to finish off. I know this is a fairly long podcast, but I'm going to finish off with one little experience from yesterday. Took my granddaughter and celebrated my wife's birthday. Well, we're going to Alaska, as I kind of mentioned, on a cruise in a couple of weeks. But, um, but we took the time on her birthday to go celebrate a little over at Epcot. 
Uh, when we got there, my granddaughter wanted to go on the monorail. So we boarded the monorail to go to the TTC and back. When you do that, you get a good view of the parking lot at the Magic Kingdom. Looked pretty full, but it looked pretty full because the villain's lot was full and all but the closest lot was empty over on the hero's side. That's, that's a flag. This time of year, two-thirds of this Two-thirds to three-fourths of the parking lot should be filled on days like this, not a little over half. That was a concern. When we got back to Epcot, we went to the Land Pavilion. We thought we'd go downstairs, grab a bite to eat at the Seasons restaurant there. Uh, no, it wasn't open. It's now 6 o'clock, and it had closed at 4 p.m. That's a big sign that one of your only two, and there are only really two serious casual service restaurants in the front of the park, the other being the New Connections, and yet one of them is closed at 4 p.m. That's a sign. That's a flag. Now, what we decided to do instead was to do the Garden Grill. I should do a whole review of that. We enjoyed the time uh, doing Garden Grill, but I noticed as we were eating, and as I finished up and I walked the circular restaurant, which rotates, um, I noticed that there were at least 40% of the seats, tables, not even occupied. And this is during the key dinner hour. That's a flag. I will also say the park was beautiful. And for the most part, the operation was fairly smooth there. There was a lot of good things. But all that said and done, attendance is down. That's part of why you see some of the promises that we talked about in a previous podcast last week about attendance um, uh, changes being made in 2024. But right now, Disney, beyond anticipating 2024, which needs to be something more than some changes and tweaks to Genie Plus, and some changes to the annual pass schedule and some some of those things. There needs to be something much bigger next spring that's promised. Moreover, the summer's not even started. And there's a need to do something now in the summer season. So guess what? There was something called VI Pass Holders Day coming to Walt Disney World this summer. Let me just tell you what's happening. Disney is offering something big for the summer season. Here it's offering a new pass holder magnet. Now, I know some of you struggling to just, just, I mean, it's just, wow, that is a big thing. New pass holder magnet. Pass holders will have a limited time, exclusive space to rest off and cool with dedicated seating. Actually, I really like that idea, especially if it's the Millennium Place. I love that location. We could use several of those. We could use the several of those anytime. Um, but I really like that. I don't know why it needs to be a limited time. That's something to consider. But I do like the fact that they're doing something there. But then beyond that, it's some increased discounts. It's like merchandise and dining locations, some exclusive treats for pass holders. You know, you're going to get your own cupcake. And um, you're going to get a chance to capture memories with some two with two, two, count them, not one, not three, but two, limited time photo ops. Again, that's okay, but that is not telling me, hey, I need to start making reservations and plans to do, to visit the parks over the summer. Nothing about that is screaming, I gotta go. And the whole of it reminds me a little of Frozen Summer, which happened the season that, um, that Islands of Adventure opened up its section of Harry Potter. And it was going to be, I mean, that was huge. Um, that was hugely anticipated. Lots of press, lots of excitement, lots of anticipation. And Disney that summer was doing nothing. The only thing that was amazing is that just six months prior, something called Frozen had come out in the movie theaters. And that had taken the world by storm. And so George Caligridis, as I've heard him talk about it, or as I've heard others talk about it, 
basically gathered everyone together and said, we got two weeks to create something called a frozen summer. Make it work. And so Disney's Hollywood, and this went up like in no time. I barely had any notice of it happening at all. And all of a sudden there was bunting and banners and signage all over. There was a parade that came through. There was a, there were new meet and greets that weren't even happening before. There was an ice skating rink. Do you remember the ice skating rink that was set up? There were dining and retail um, options and opportunities there was there. And then they created this little show called Frozen Sing-Along, which was so successful. It's still there today. All of this was created in two weeks' time. I was there on opening day. I remember seeing Calagrita sitting in the middle of the room watching the first Frozen Sing-Along show. It was so funny and so amazing. And not just because it was a good show, but because it was done in two weeks, they pulled that thing together. You know what? Disney, you need to take two weeks and you need to come up with something for summer. It can't be VI pass holder days. You really need to come up with something. Now, I'm just going to offer a couple ideas of what that should look like. First off, uh, a nighttime parade to the Magic Kingdom. Go get Paint the Magic. Go get... Um, uh, Main Street Electrical Parade and hustle them over here and do a nighttime parade. Oh, by the way, go figure out a daytime parade to the studios. You got enough parade floats out there. You could do your own daytime parade at the studios. Calvacate at least, but do something there. We haven't brought back Star Wars fireworks to the studio. That's, a, that's not taking a whole lot of effort to organize. It's already there. Go back in the computer, pull up the system, load the pyro, and let's do this thing. Bring back some missing entertainment. Uh, may I just suggest one of them could be the citizens of Hollywood or the citizens of Main Street. Their budgets seemingly got cut about the same time we put up a star cruiser called Halcyon. And it seemed to me that all improv performers went up into space they need to come they need to beam them back down to hollywood boulevard and we need the citizens of hollywood back there we could use some unique character experiences people go crazy about seeing some characters they haven't seen in a while disney did that in the magic kingdom at one point every every park could it's always cool to see characters like tarzan at animal kingdom or robin hood at the magic Bring back some unique characters. And by the way, where's Figment? You promised Figment at D23 last year. Get the thing back out here and let's get going. Do some attraction touches, some pluses to attractions. Where's the hat box goes? Are you waiting? Really? You're going to wait to Halloween to get people to come see the hat box goes? They're already coming for the Halloween party. Get the hat box goes out now. It takes about two, three weeks probably. Get it out right now. Open that Moana journey of water. I saw it yesterday. I'll show the video. Um, lamps were already being put up on the lamppost. Um, it's just, come on, come on. It could be opened up in probably less than a month easily. And then finally, that Little Mermaid show. You had the studios. I think you're going to have a big movie about it. Why don't you go get that thing up and running too? If you had a number of these things up and running this summer, you could dramatically, and by the way, going back to the Frozen example, there was dramatic attendance increases at Disney's Hollywood Studios because in two weeks, Frozen suddenly showed up in the parks. It was amazing. It blessed their summer. I know it's really hard to, and, and this is the souvenir for this, it's hard to reemerge. When you're busy laying off everybody, you have a lower, well, and, and in truth, if I were to, to build on that, I would say this, you lay off people when things are going great, not when things are going bad. When things are going bad, you need to use those people to make them great again. When you're great and you're strong, then you can start moving people away so that you can be tight and strong. But you don't get tight when you're down in the in the dumps. That's one of the things we talk about with organizations. You 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 work on layoffs when people are when your organization is strong, not when you are falling to pieces. And secondly, organizationally, you need to stay agile 
to address opportunities like this. It's you could see it in the cards months ago. The attendance was beginning to fall. Why aren't you turning around and doing something immediately to change that? I think that would be in Disney's best interest. And for any organization, it's in your best interest that you stay agile organizationally so that you're ready for when things like this happens. Now, at Performance Journeys, we've addressed clients like this with solutions for better knowing your customers, approaches for testing, piloting the ideas before you sunk too much money in them, ways to better listen to your employees and their needs before you start making massive changes in their lives, um, addressing solutions by being more agile and better anticipating um, opportunities that are ahead of you. That's what we do at Performance Journeys. We work with organizations like yours to address challenges and implement solutions. So if some of the things resonate and you say, you know what, we're a little bit like that. We're too stagnant. We are not doing a good job of listening to our customers or employees. Give us a call. Let's talk about your situation. Uh, go to Disney Insights and you can see a link to our site, the sponsor Performance Journeys. Well, that does it for this podcast. Appreciate you joining us. Appreciate you being a part. Make sure that you um, stay tuned because we have lots to share, lots to show, lots to talk about in the days and weeks to come. Check out the Wayfinder Society. If you don't have the big budget, you're not in charge of big budgets for making improvements to your organization, check out the Wayfinder Society. Because as you support the show for a very minimal amount of money, you get access to great ideas like the kinds we're talking about. So check out the Wayfinder Society. And in the interim, make sure that you always follow the compass of your heart wherever you are, wherever you go. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.